This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. You're listening to Deadset Podcasting with your host, Josh Liston. This is a show dedicated to podcasting in Australia, New Zealand and Southeast Asia. Follow along with today's episode over at deadsetpodcasting.com. Okay, here we go. G'day folks, how you going? Josh here, back in the studio, recording into the Mix Pre 6 and a mic that actually is going to be for my co-host in my new studio. This is an Electrovoice RE320 and it sounds pretty similar in my headphones to the RE20, just not as smooth and a little bit more hyped up in the sibilant frequencies, which for my voice, probably not ideal, but because this is a podcast about podcasting, I wanted you guys to be able to hear the mic in as natural a way as you can. Hopefully the noise floor in here because of how well sound treated this room is now and the insane lack of noise in the mix pre preamps means I won't have to run much noise treatment at all. So this is my voice into this microphone. So you've got an idea. RE320. And not to go on too early a gear tangent, but I was actually running a SE Microphones DM1 Dynamite mic activator, which is basically a cloud lifter type device. If you're familiar with that, if you want to look up DM1 Dynamite, it's this little red stick and it looks really cool. Weird thing, never had this happen before on any other device. Normally they're essential for dynamic mics if you want to get a really clean sound and know that regardless what you plug it into, you're probably going to have enough gain to get the mic to work correctly. The preamps that are in the Sound Devices Mix Pre 6 Series 1 were cleaner than the clean gain in the SM1 Dynamite because when I turned it on, it was actually noisy and I thought, I've never heard that in my Sound Devices before. What's changed? The mic itself could be noisier than my other mics, but let's just remove the mic activator first. And what you're hearing is directly into the recorder from the microphone. So, yeah, unexpected. The devices are awesome, though, the DM1s. I'm using them with the Rodecaster Pro, mostly because the preamps in that device are sub-grade when compared to something like the Mix Pre. And those little SM1 Dynamites are more affordable than a cloud lifter. I think I bought three of them for the price of what two cloud lifters would cost. So what I should do really is plug the cloud lifter into this microphone, plug that into the recorder, and see if there's a difference between those two activators. But yeah, thumbs up to the sound devices. You're doing stuff that even these dedicated devices can't even achieve. So tangent over. Today's episode is about editing for interviews, for podcasts. I've got eight tips coming and I'm going to try this episode to keep them to about a minute each. So I don't waste your time. They are just tips. Obviously, if you want to know more, you can reach out. Hello at deadsetpodcasting.com or Joshua C. Liston on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. If you want to DM me on LinkedIn or something, Joshua C. Liston there as well, I think. If you wanted to support the show by buying us a coffee or multiple coffees, would be awesome. You can check out deadsetpodcasting.com slash support. 
I realise times are tough, so I don't expect anyone listening to this to ever donate. But if you can or you would like to, then it's much appreciated. Okay, tip number one for editing podcast interviews. Use a pop filter. No, that's actually not the tip. I'm actually not using a pop filter today because I want to see how this mic actually can handle someone that's got a relative amount of mic technique experience but isn't a professional broadcaster, whether you can actually use these for a long-form audio production without a pop filter like someone on the radio would. Because I always found that confusing when I'd see people using the RE20 or the RE320 on a clip of a radio station. They very rarely have a pop filter. They're usually talking almost directly at the microphone and it's just the raw microphone, no filter and no windscreen. So I'm thinking it's about placement and about mic technique. So let me know if you can hear an overabundance of plosives today and let me know if there's anything you can hear about the characteristics of the mic that maybe sounds a little bit cleaner or clearer or more organic because I don't have something sitting in front of it. I'm not going to know that until it's all said and done, just like you guys who are hearing it. So you never quite know what something's going to be like until it's out in the world in your natural listening environment as a fan of podcasts, which for me is either in the car or listening to my AirPods. Tip number one, if you're using Skype to connect with your guest, I've seen this work with Skype. I'm not sure if it's generalizable to VoIP in general. If you have a really bad connection or it just doesn't sound very good or the call quality is incredibly low compared to normal, hang up and call the person back. I don't know. It might be because it's a have you turned it off and on again situation with Windows and Windows now owns and engineers Skype. Maybe it's just a reboot somewhere in the system that refreshes that call. For some reason, the quality generally does improve when you call them back. It's magic. I don't know. It's a ghost in the machine somewhere, but that's my experience. Number two, always run a backup of the entire call, not just because you may lose the original recording, but it has other useful purposes, which I'll talk about in a minute. So regardless how you're getting a backup, make sure everybody's on there. So all the tracks, all the voices. You don't necessarily need your sound effects or your music beds or anything on there, just the voices themselves. Just make sure your backup has everybody. And if you have a backup that's only yourself and your co-host, for example, or your remote guest is also running a backup of some kind, you as the host should run a third backup that has the entire call on that backup. Number three, understand that if you're recording a double-ender, and a double-ender is where each individual records locally at the highest possible quality, and the only recording that's happening from the call itself is that backup call. Otherwise, you're just using Zoom or Skype or CleanFeed or whatever you're using as a form of communication only. You can even just call someone on a phone and talk into a microphone and record the mic at your end, but make the actual call over the telephone. So that's what a double-ender is. So if you are doing a double-ender, you may find that the track that you've recorded at your end and the track that the guest or multiple guests have recorded on their end, after a certain point in time, 35, 40 minutes, they seem to have gone out of sync a little bit. Or you feel like, I don't remember talking over that person heaps towards the end of the call. When did that start happening? You, <laughs> you weren't being rude. 
it wasn't actually really happening live on the call. It's called audio drift. And the longer your call goes for, the tiny, tiny differences in the clock speed of different machines will become more pronounced as the call length increases. So what might be one one hundredth of a second at the 30 second mark may be half a second by the 30 minute mark. And it may, if you go out to 90 minutes, you may end up a second apart or two seconds apart and then you are talking over each other. So just realize that is one of the few practical downsides of doing a double ender. Normally a double ender will give you the absolute highest quality for a remote interview. As with all things in podcasting, even the best possible option comes at a cost. And the cost is the longer the call, the more likely you are to have substantial audio drift between tracks that you will need to do something about in your editing software. I'll give you a tip for how you can fix that later in today's episode. Number four, don't worry about counting in together or clapping your hands together. All you need to do is zoom in on your sound wave, find a peak of some kind, it could just be a word, and line the peak of that word, so the loudest point or the highest amplitude point, up with the exact same moment on your backup recording and line everybody up from there. And the reason why I don't believe in claps and countdowns is because if you do have audio drift, the clap and the countdown normally only happens in the first couple of minutes. So you're not actually learning an editing skill. You're learning a skill that might help you in the first few minutes to get things rolling so you don't talk over each other in the first few seconds. But it's not actually helpful when you get later in the episode because most of us aren't stopping and resyncing ourselves with a clap or with a countdown. So my advice would be don't even bother trying to get that right. It can be frustrating for everybody on the call to repeatedly do countdowns or claps. Just line it up in your editing software by zooming in. And my tip is just mute the backup track, but leave it in the project until the end of your editing session, then delete those tracks. Because you may need it to fill in parts which may have dropped out. You may have a corrupted recording where the second half of someone's part of their double ender didn't actually work. You can fill that space in by using the backup. But most importantly, as you're moving through the episode, if you do experience audio drift, you can resync yourself again to that backup track. So find another point or another word and align everybody again to that. That's why you'd need a backup with everybody on there. That's why I believe you're better off spending your time learning that editing trick than putting everyone on the call through the punishment of trying to learn to count down together over a software that may have latency. So if you've got a really bad connection and you're trying to get someone to clap in time with you, they may not know that you've already started counting down until a beat after you've actually started, and then you're out of alignment anyway. So I'm going to get off my grumpy high horse there and have a drink before my voice dies. I had a very early recording this morning from 7am and my voice still hasn't recovered. (laughs) That's why you shouldn't do a 70 minute call when you've just woken up. So number five, cut out some or most of your supportive verbalizations. And what I mean about that is when someone's talking along and making points as they go, you don't need to go, "Mm, yeah, yes, I agree. All of that stuff that happens in natural speech because you're trying to encourage someone to keep telling their story if they're your friend. And sometimes I know I do it when I'm on a pure audio call. If I've got a bandwidth problem at my end or the guests or both, we do pure audio. I'll over-verbalize 
to try and support that person so they know I'm still there. Don't cut that stuff out of your call. They may need that feedback in the call itself, but you don't need to leave it in there in the finished copy. It will just bug your listener because they want to be allowed to go, "Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I agree, without feeling like they're falling in sync with you the whole time because your voice is already there. Cut out some or most of those and you will avoid becoming redundant within your own episode. So, number six. As I turn the paper, that probably got picked up by the microphone. I heard it through the headphones, so we'll leave that one in there. This is the one I'm expecting most people to disagree with me most about, but it's really only for people that are doing really sculpted, almost scalpel-level surgery on your editing. So, one thing you need to look out for is, just say you're doing a monologue, like I am today, by myself in a room. If you edit heavily through sections and you're cutting out repeats or where you restart a sentence or there's complete fluency through a certain section, then all of a sudden there's a disfluency or you leave in a chunk of a repeat or you leave in the chunk of a repeat and keep going, it can really shock the listener because it's a different editing choice and style all of a sudden that only existed within that one moment, but it can pull the listener out of feeling like it's an organic edit and realizing that everything's been chopped up and everything's edited except for that one moment that you missed. So this is why I'm encouraging people to listen to their entire episode. You can listen at triple speed if you like, to know what editing style you want to go with, how much do I need to edit, what tone do I need, would my normal editing style or show length make this person sound overly serious? Do I need to leave some of the detours and the tangents in and the laughing and the jokes? Do I need to include a little bit of the pre-call at the end of the episode just to lighten things up? Those things you're not going to know if you're just starting at the end of the episode and editing your way through. Because if you're fully invested in your guest or multiple guests and you're not only hosting but you're contributing to the content itself. You're not just an engineer, you're a content contributor. And that might be just by being engaged and supportive. I don't believe, particularly as a solo podcaster, you can keep track of the grand vision of the show, how everything's going at the highest level, and also be right down in the dirt with the person talking moment to moment. So my advice is listen to the entire episode to work out how much do I need to edit, What story do I want to tell? Or what story do I want to help my guest or guests tell? And what's the overall tone of the raw recording? Do I need to maintain that or do I need to make editing choices that maybe change that? Okay, number seven. And this one people will probably also disagree a little bit about. But this is just my experience having done many calls to people on telephones. If you are in a position where you need to call someone on the telephone, call a landline. And you might be thinking, Josh, you are strange. You are crazy. That sounds like rubbish. These microphones in new smartphones sound amazing. Why would I call a landline? Here's why. The best a landline can sound is nowhere near as good as the best a mobile phone or cell phone can sound. But it is consistently the same quality. The same frequencies are there. It's not going to be affected if someone turns the microwave on or... They move into an area where they've got low cell coverage. Coverage from, you know, one part of the house is different to another part of the house because they have the freedom to move around. 
the call quality itself is consistent on a landline generally. And I'm not talking about someone using their landline, but they're actually walking around on hands-free or they're using a handset and moving around the house because that's going to be complete garbage. I'm talking about a, a landline that's plugged straight into the wall. You can get the person to sit still. They're not going to move and cause extra environmental noise, but also not move into an area where the reception drops out, whereas if they're on a mobile, they can quite easily do that. So it might sound a bit strange, but the landline kind of locks them in place. And you may not have great quality, but you're going to have consistent quality and a consistent connection and a consistent location for the length of the call. And one thing I do in booking the interview is if the person only wants to speak on the phone, request that it's a landline. And regardless if they say yes to that or no, they prefer a mobile. I would plan to make that call shorter. If your normal episode recording is you get 45 minutes of material from the guest and you use half an hour of it, I'd be thinking maybe just shoot for half an hour of someone on the phone and use 20 minutes of it because your listener is probably going to expect more. But if it's a sub 30 minute piece of landline audio once every 10 episodes, I think you can get away with that. If you're doing Joe Rogan over the phone and it's four hours, I don't think that's going to work regardless what you're connected to, to be honest. Okay, number eight. Don't mash edit your guest. Here's a very quick breakdown of mash editing. You didn't match the pace between two sections that you edited together. You didn't match the tone or feel of two sections you edited together. You edited after one breath and before a second breath and made a double breath. (gasps) You cut too many ums, ahs and joiner words out of other words and made an unnatural pacing glitch inside of a word or a fragment. So essentially the listener will realize that something was missing there or what was that? That was weird. I didn't quite catch that because two words have been smashed together where there was something that was joining both of them. So that could be any word, not just um and ah, but it could be any joiner word the person says. The final part of mash editing is what I would call a carpet bombing approach to every verbal disfluency the person has. Any speech disfluency is gone. That could be fumbles, mumbles, long breaths, leaving gaps in words. Umming and ahhing is a thinking sound. All those things. Don't remove every single unique disfluency from your guest because their audience will know that you've done that. And why do we have guests on? Part of the reason is to expand our own listenership by introducing our show to the guest audience. You can clean someone's speech up, make them sound smart, sharp and fast in their thinking without changing who that person is as far as how they speak. Particularly if it's a thinking sound. An example would be Brian Thompson, who used to be on a show called the Music Biz Weekly Podcast and also did a show called Zen Thinking. When you would ask Brian a question or someone would ask him an intriguing question, he used to do this. Um, um, yeah. And then in his mega brain, this huge story would unfold and there would be no disfluency. But that initial thinking sound could be seen as a disfluency. Brian had a thinking sound, and it just happened to be a word you would normally cut out. So 
thank you for today. I know it kind of went all over the place. The first 10 minutes wasn't even tip related. That was just about gear. So hopefully that was okay. I'm stoked that my mix pre after almost three years of ownership still just kicks everything's butt that I own. Righto. Deadsetpodcasting.com slash support. If you want to throw some coffees my way, even though the studio's finished, my office still needs a little bit of love. So any money that does come in will go probably straight into sound treating the other room. So yeah, which is not cheap. Righto, guys. At Joshua C. Liston on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, whatever. And probably if you're listening to this in the future, everything other than TikTok that comes to be. I'm just not never getting on TikTok. I'm just not doing it. Righto. Take care. Have a good week and talk soon. This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.